God, I thank you for the great news that even though you are perfect and we are flawed, sinful people, you still welcome us with open arms. And I thank you for this week where we get the chance to remember the, the central pillars of our faith that you sent Jesus as king and that you sent him to die in our place to bring us back to you and that you raised him from death to life and defeat of the grave. I pray that you would give us opportunity to pause and to remember and that you would shape our very lives around the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the weather is making its kind of first uh, signs of showing that it's going to get a little bit warmer, and so I'm going to be uh, really uh, premature here and ask you to start thinking about uh, the middle of summer, July 4th. Uh, the 4th of July is, is, a, is a special time in uh, Ludington because there's lots of visitors here, lots of people. It's the, big, the biggest week of the year for us, and there's a lot of excitement in the air. And even for those of us who are uh, the most uh, confirmed introverts, there's, there's something special that that happens on 4th of July. Most of us are off work, and so a lot of people are out and about. They're enjoying themselves. They're relaxing with their families. They're heading down to the parade. There's lots of different things going on. There's fireworks, and, and it's a great time. It's a great atmosphere uh, in our community here. Uh, now, my family, one year, a few years ago, decided that we were going to actually skip the parade, which I know is like heresy if you're uh, a Ludington person, but we decided that we were going to skip the parade and just kind of enjoy time as a family. We had babies napping and all that. Um, but even then, we were sitting in the backyard and we could start to hear all the, the noise starting to happen, starting to build uh, around the avenue. And, and there was something about that that almost like a magnet drew me in a little bit. So I decided, well, I'm just going to go for a little bike ride. So uh, I got my bike out and I got my son and we started going and it was like we didn't even intentionally go there, but we kind of made our way closer to Ludington Avenue until we were on some of those side streets and, and they're just lined with parked cars on both sides, lots of people. You start to hear the drums getting ready as the parade gets set. And, and sure enough, we ended up right there parking the bike and sitting with some friends and, and watching the parade. It was like this, this force that drew us in. There's almost this, this palpable sense that, that something is happening. There's a buzz in the air. It's a, it's a great atmosphere here. And it's into that kind of atmosphere that we enter into the story of Jesus uh, this morning. Today is what is uh, called uh, Holy Week, the beginning of Holy Week, which uh, focuses in on the, the pinnacle uh, last week of Jesus' life and his ministry, starting with Palm Sunday as he enters Jerusalem as king, and then going through to Good Friday, and then uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday that we'll uh, celebrate next week. So today is the start of that. Today is Palm Sunday, this day where the, the church around the world is, is celebrating Jesus entering into Jerusalem to mark the, the start of this uh, pinnacle week of his earthly ministry. And that pinnacle week comes at a time of 4th of July style celebration and anticipation for God's people. This was during the Jewish Passover festival in Jerusalem. So it's the most important city for God's people and the biggest religious week of the year for God's people. They were gathering to remember God's great salvation where he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to their own land. So this is a time of great excitement. Lots of people coming from all the surrounding areas to, to come to Jerusalem to be part of this great celebration, to remember that we're called to worship God today as well. And it's with all of the buzz, all of the excitement in the air of this celebration that Jesus enters the scene. So that's kind of the context uh, for the story this morning. Now let's turn to see uh, what's actually going on here. So this is Matthew chapter 21. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 17. 
If you want, you can grab one of our new uh, pew Bibles uh, from the pew racks. This is found on page 1,535. You want to have this in front of you as we go forward. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. So as we're celebrating Palm Sunday, we're seeing that Jesus does two uh, big symbolic acts as he uh, comes into Jerusalem at the start of this great week. We're going to look at these two symbolic acts and begin to understand why this is such great news uh, for us today. The first symbolic act is the one that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. That's a pretty simple act, but there's a lot of rich meaning behind this. So here's what happened. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, on the surface, it might be hard for us from our historical distance to understand why Jesus borrowing a donkey and riding into town is such a big deal. Why is the crowd responding in this kind of fervor? Uh, But fortunately, Matthew uh, gives us eyes to see what's happening. He he says this is in accordance with what God had said would happen years previously through the prophet Zechariah. And he quotes this particular verse from Zechariah 9.9. So by riding a donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus is symbolically showing that he's king. That's what that verse in Zechariah 9.9 is saying. Your king comes to you. So Jesus is symbolically showing that he is the rightful king of God's people. It's also showing what kind of king he is, right? It says he comes gentle or humble. He comes riding on a donkey. In other words, he's not sitting on a war horse with a sword drawn in his hand and charging into the city of Jerusalem. That's not the kind of king he is. He doesn't come to bring a violent revolt, but he is truly king. But the crowd sees what's happening, and the king part is what really excites them, that the symbolism of this is not lost on them. It's like if you're a baseball fan and you see a player step up to the plate and then point to center field in the bleachers. If you don't know much about baseball, you don't know much about the game, you might be confused. What is this person doing? They're pointing out to the outfield. What does this mean? But if you're familiar with the game, if you're familiar with the history, the symbolism here is immediately clear to you. In 1932, in the World Series, Babe Ruth, one of the greatest home run hitters of all time, stepped to the plate in a tie game in the World Series, pointed to the center field bleachers, And then on the next pitch, promptly hit a home run to the center field bleachers. That's what that symbolism is about. So if someone today stepped to the plate and pointed out to the center field, that's what they're saying. I'm going to hit a home run. I'm like Babe Ruth. I'm that good. And of course, if it's a home game, the home crowd is going to go crazy because they think this is amazing. Well, the crowd gets it. They see that there is a symbolic act happening here as Jesus comes. They see that he is saying he is king. 
And their actions show that they're willing to accept him as their king by taking off their jackets and putting them on the ground in front of them, by, by cutting down the, the branches. And, and the Gospel of John tells us they're palm branches, which is why it's called Palm Sunday. But by doing this, they're showing that not only do they believe that Jesus is king, but they're saying, be our king. We're going to submit to this one, this king. And then they take up the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is the psalm that was used during the Passover celebration. And it too is affirming what Jesus is saying. Hosanna is a shout of praise. It means save us. And son of David is pointing back to Israel's most famous king, King David. And it's affirming, expressing hope in God's promises to send a new David, a true king who will lead God's people. This hoped-for king was known as the Messiah, the, the anointed one. And he would restore Israel and bring God's blessing back to his people. That's what the people are shouting for. That's what their hope is. And so Jesus is symbolically saying through this entrance that he is king, and the people see and they respond with great joy. They, they see that something big is happening here and it adds to the buzz that's already in the air because of this great Passover celebration. But I want you to notice in particular who is responding with joy to the coming of Jesus. Verse 10 says that there are some people who are confused. Jerusalem is all stirred up. It's like an earthquake has hit the city and everyone's kind of unsettled. Who is this Jesus? But the people who are celebrating, the people who are filled with joy and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, these are the ones who are looking for God's salvation. They know his promises through the prophets and they know that, that living under Roman rule, living, living under this, this foreign empire is not God's plan for them. And so they're looking for God's salvation and, and, and here comes Jesus. And it looks like he's fulfilling what the prophets had said this king would be. Now, for us to better understand why there's such uh, deep joy here, we have to dig a little bit deeper into the bigger picture of what this symbolic act means. So let's look a little bit more at the two passages that, that are quoted here in this opening section. They, they have a rich background and a rich meaning. So Zechariah 9 talks about not just a king coming, like we see in, the, in verse 9 that's quoted here, but also about God's great victory over everything that would cause his people distress or fear or worry. I mean, think about that for a minute. If there's a promise that there's going to come a time when everything you worry about, everything that causes you fear, everything that keeps you up late at night, there's a promise that that's all going to be gone someday? That's the hope that these people are holding on to. That's the hope of Zechariah 9, peace on every side, the great salvation and victory of God. And then Psalm 118, that the people use to praise Jesus, enriches the symbolism too. It talks about calling out to God in the middle of a time of, of trouble and receiving an answer. The beginning of that psalm starts by calling the people four times to say, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. And it's, it's proclaiming the salvation of God. So verse 14 of Psalm 118, The Lord is my strength. And my defense, he has become my salvation. Verse 27, the Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us. So it's this great psalm celebrating when God makes all things right. That's what this whole thing is about. That's the bigger picture of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Yes, he is the king that God promised. And when that king that God promised comes, everything is going to be made right. That's what the people are saying. They're, they're those who are looking for, for God's salvation see that in Jesus... It looks like God is on the move. It looks like he's doing something big here. So they're filled with joy. Jesus is inspiring praise here. Everything is going to be made right. And from this first symbolic act then, 
comes a second symbolic act. Jesus disrupts commerce in the temple. So after he enters Jerusalem, here's what we see him doing next. It's beginning in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Now again, when we look at this symbolic action, it might not be immediately clear to us what is going on here. It might look like Jesus is being rather rude and and a bit destructive even. I mean, here he is coming to the the temple uh, area and and you have the money changers. People had to change money to be able to give uh, in the right currency that, that worship was taking place in. And there's those who are selling doves here. And people who came from uh, outlying areas had to buy doves as a, as a gift to God, a sacrifice to him. So they were doing what they needed to do. And here's Jesus coming and tripping over all the tables, making a big mess of the whole scene. Well, fortunately, again, here we get quotes from the Bible to understand what is happening. And Jesus quotes from two different Old Testament passages. The first one is Isaiah 56, 7. And that verse is a reminder that God's intention for his temple, his intention for his house, is for it to be a place of prayer, a a place where people can come and worship and meet God. And then the second verse that Jesus quotes from is Jeremiah 7, 11. It's showing that, that God's people don't always hold up his intention for his temple. God sent his prophet Jeremiah to pronounce condemnation, judgment on Israel's leaders. That passage talks about the leaders having this false sense of security because they were in the temple. They were treating it almost like a a magical charm. If if we're here and the temple's here, then then there's going to be no harm that comes to us. It's like people who will sometimes put uh, little crosses hanging from the, the rear view mirror of their car, thinking that that will protect them from getting in any kind of accident. Now, I know some people put them there to remind them of Jesus and keep him central in their lives. That's a different kind of thing. But if you're just using a cross like a magical charm, if these people are using the temple and thinking of it like a magical charm, that misses the whole point. God will not be mocked. He understands what's happening. And if people have made his temple a place of just commerce and activity and not a place to worship him and meet him, then something's wrong and God is going to judge. That's what he did in Jeremiah's day. So the symbolic act of of Jesus here in disrupting the commerce in the temple is on the one hand about restoration to the right worship of God. This needs to be a place of prayer. And on the other hand, it's it's a symbolic act of judgment against the leaders of God's people for bringing it to this point. And of course, this plays out in the mixed response that Jesus receives to this action. On the one hand, the people who have been excluded from worship of of, of, of God, the blind people, crippled people, they are flocking to Jesus. And what we see is that Jesus actually heals them. He restores them to a place where they're able to worship God. And also the children, those who are powerless, come and they're continuing to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. So those who are without power are running to Jesus and finding that that they can worship God through him. But on the other hand, the religious leaders against whom this symbolic act of judgment has taken place are understandably upset. They think that what Jesus is allowing to be said of him is not right. 
And so in response to the upset religious leaders, Jesus quotes from Psalm 8, saying that the praise that the children are offering, that's actually God's work in their heart, giving them words to praise him. And this points us to the bigger picture of what's happening here. Again, God is up to something big here. These chapters that are quoted from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7 remind us of the bigger picture. Isaiah 56 is this great passage where God calls his people to uphold justice, to do what is right. And as he is calling them to right action, he's reminding them that, that his goal is not just for the people of Israel. Yes, he's gathering them back to himself, but he's going beyond that as well. It says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. He's doing a much bigger work here as well. What God has in mind is the healing and the restoration of the entire world. The temple was supposed to be a place of worship, but like any human-led institution can, it has failed to live up to its primary purpose of pointing people to God and being a place where people meet God. So Jesus' judgment on the leaders, his disruption of the whole scene, is really preparing the way for what's going to happen the rest of this Holy Week, preparing the way for the future when Jesus himself will be the sacrifice that brings forgiveness for God's people. So that the temple is no longer needed because Jesus himself is that perfect sacrifice who brings forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Jesus himself is the great high priest who draws people near to God so that they're able to worship him rightly. There will come a time when the temple is no longer needed and Jesus' symbolic action is setting that reality up. And again, it's further confirmation that, that God is up to something big here and that big thing is centered on Jesus. Now, it's interesting that, that Matthew records a much more uh, muted celebration here in this second symbolic act, right? In the first one, we see him coming into Jerusalem and there's a huge crowd shouting his praise. So there's people who are, are not sure what's going on, they're wondering, but by and large, it's a huge crowd worshiping Jesus, proclaiming his entrance. But then here in this symbolic act of judgment against the temple, restoration of right worship, it's, it's more of, of a mixed bag. But what I love about what Jesus is saying is that the kids are getting it right. That's what Jesus is saying. No, God has inspired these kids to give the right kind of praise. Look to them for what you should be doing as well. They're still shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us. Jesus is King. Praise God. That's what they're still doing. I think kids are often better at celebrating uh, than most of us are as adults. Most of us tend to be much more reserved. I saw this uh, over spring break. We had a chance to play a few uh, uh, board games as a family and, and other games as a family. We had this one simple dice game called toss-up. And, and uh, if you continue to roll, the dice has green, red, and, and yellow sides on it. And you can keep rolling as long as you get greens. And, and the more greens you get, the more points you get. You're trying to get to 100. Well, my daughter had this, this amazing run one round where she was rolling greens and greens and greens. It was, I couldn't believe it. I mean, she got 68 points in one round. I, it's twice anything I'd ever gotten close to getting. And what was amazing to me was, and a bit shocking, frankly, was how high her emotional highs were and, of course, how low her emotional lows were. So with each successful roll of the dice, she would just light up, hands in the air, jumping up and down. Yes, I got it, running around the room and then coming back and rolling another green. And again, the same thing, hands up in the air, exuberant face. It was just amazing to see. I thought, well, here's someone who gets what celebration is all about. Uh, later in the night, my wife and I were playing cribbage, just the two of us, and I thought maybe I could try some of those antics when I won that game, but I decided to kind of hold off on that for the sake of my marriage, and I think it worked out pretty well. 
But I think the kids get it, right? They don't hold anything back as they're pouring forth their praise. Most of us, you know, we might allow ourselves to celebrate a little bit every now and then, but, but kids don't hold back. They just shout for praise. That's what the kids are doing as they see Jesus. They, they sense that there is something big happening there. They hear this cry of Hosanna to the Son of David, and they're taking that up on their lips. They're shouting for joy. This is a good day. Now, what's interesting about Palm Sunday is that it's an incomplete revelation, right? This is the start of the week. If we're following along with the people and thinking through their experience of this, they don't know the rest of the story. Now, if you've been in church for a while, if you know the rest of the story, you know where this is headed. You know this is headed to the cross. You know this is headed to the empty tomb. You know this is headed to Jesus commissioning the church. But even before we get there, look at the joy that is evident in this passage. There is celebration. There is anticipation. Even before all of that, there's this buzz, there's excitement that God is up to something big. Even without a full understanding of what's going to happen this week, we see on Palm Sunday that Jesus inspires praise. That's the impression that we get from Palm Sunday. That's what we learn as we see how the people react to them. And we're moving forward in the story. We're going to get more and more about what it means for the story of Jesus to be the best news ever for us. But for right now, it's anticipation. It's expectation. God is up to something. People see and they respond with joy. Jesus inspires praise. Now, the anticipation and the the incompleteness of the story at Palm Sunday is helpful because for many of us, that's how we begin to get to know Jesus. That's how our journey of faith really goes. It it starts with, at some point, we hear something about who Jesus is. And we kind of try that on in our minds. And and maybe we believe it right away. Maybe we have to wrestle with it a little bit. We think, well, if that's true, then that changes things. Or maybe we hear a quote somewhere along the line of something that Jesus said. We think, hmm, that's an amazing reality. I wonder if that's really true. And over time, we begin to get a little bit more of a picture of who Jesus is, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. That's how our growth happens. That's what disciple-making is about. It's not that we put our trust in Jesus and suddenly know everything. It's not that we come to faith, express faith in Him, get baptized, and are suddenly mature adult followers of Jesus. No, we start off being born as tiny little babies. And then we know a little bit more about Jesus and grow to experience him a little bit more. And then we grow into toddlers and then we grow into adolescents and then we grow into, in the, toward the end of our lives, hopefully mature adults as well. It's this process of disciple making. And what that means for today is that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know the whole story for this to be the best news for you. You don't have to have the complete picture here. You don't have to have a legacy of generations and generations of growing up in the church. You don't have to have a large uh, paragraphs of the Bible memorized. You don't even have to know every book of the Bible, what its name is, to be able to understand that this is the best news ever. And maybe you can't pinpoint uh, why you're here this morning, but there's something that is drawing you. Or maybe you can pinpoint why you're here this morning, and it has really nothing to do with Jesus at all, except that it really does. See, God is up to something really big. He he is drawing us to himself. And and maybe you don't believe that today, and maybe you're not sure what that means today, but but God is doing something. That's what we see through the story of Jesus. Little bit by little bit, we get to know a little bit more of who he is and a little bit more of who he is. Just like the crowd at the beginning of Palm Sunday, they see a little bit of anticipation that there's something big here. Then as they move through to Good Friday, their expectation is shattered of who Jesus really is. And then Easter morning, this great surprise that this man who died on a cross is suddenly alive again, this amazing thing that had never happened before. And suddenly there's this guy who has defeated death. 
And that has changed the entire world. This is what our faith process is about. It's about starting to get a little glimpse of who Jesus is and then knowing a little bit more and a little bit more. And the more we come to understand who Jesus is, the more we see that this really is the best news ever. See, there are lots of things that are going on in our lives. We have uh, job issues and we have school issues and we have health issues, we have family issues. And there's a lot going on in the world too. There's economic issues, there's political issues, all sorts of things happening. But there's an even bigger picture of what's going on. And Holy Week is a great reminder of what that bigger picture is. Beyond the personal cares and concerns in our own lives, and and even beyond the global cares and concerns of the world around us, there is a God who is up to something big. He is taking this world that he created, a good world that is made sick by sin and death, and he is recreating it. He is bringing his salvation into the world. And I mean salvation in the biggest, broadest sense possible. Often when we talk about salvation, we narrow it down to a little scope of getting to heaven when we die. That's an incredibly important part of salvation, right? But salvation is a much bigger picture than that, biblically speaking. It's a past reality for us. It's a present reality for us. It's a future reality for us. What God's salvation means is a radical transformation of of everything within us and everything in the world around us. It's a recreation of each one of us, heart, mind, soul, uh, strength, actions, affections, attitudes. It's a total recreation of who each one of us is in Christ. It's a total recreation of the global political structure. It's God himself as king over the entire world. No more corruption, no more injustice, no more unrest. It's a total recreation of the created world too. No more famine or or, or flood, abundant provision and protection. That's what God's salvation is. It is a huge reality. Most of us would settle for less than that most of the time. If I handed you a magic wand and said, fix whatever you want, what would you go and fix? Some of us think very small. We think, well, a 5% raise would be nice. Or if you think really big, well, a big pile of money. Or, well, an A in that one class that I can't seem to be getting by in. Or if you think really big, an A in every class for the rest of my life. I think, well, maybe a date with that one boy that I really like. Or maybe if you think really big, getting to marry that one boy that you really like. Or if you're thinking a little bit more broadly, maybe, maybe perfect justice in the courts. Or if you're really thinking big, no more crime ever. Maybe you're thinking globally, well, peace and justice in Syria. Or you think really big, global peace forever. Holy Week is a reminder that God is up to something much bigger than we imagine possible. And his wisdom is infinitely above our wisdom. It's much better than being given a magic wand and trying to fix things in our own wisdom and by our own insight. God's salvation is much better, much more powerful than any magic wand ever because it is in the infinite wisdom of God and the infinite power of God. What he's doing is a radical transformation. He is recreating the world to be that perfect home that he designed it for so that we can experience his presence to be with him forever. That's what God's salvation is. And Holy Week is is the center of this story. It's a reminder of, of how big of a deal it is that God sent Jesus to rescue us. We get a little glimpse of that as he comes to Jerusalem in this understated way on a donkey. But he is the king, and he's going to change everything for us. See, here's the bottom line. God is changing everything through Jesus. This week in Jesus' life that we celebrate during Holy Week in the church calendar, it changes the whole course of history 
There is nothing bigger than this. This is the central message of the church. That's why it's so important that we keep celebrating this year after year after year. See, the temptation for the church today is the same thing that happened to the temple in Jesus' day. It's easy for there to be lots of activity, lots of things going on, lots of religious stuff happening, but it's easy to lose sight of the, the central mission. This is, should be a place where people are able to meet God and to worship Him. And so we come back to the center. And remember, this is all about Jesus. He is the one who brings God's salvation. So as we go through this week together, we have an opportunity to renew our focus on the gospel. And what I want you to do, what I'm asking you to do, is to take some time to stop and to remember what this week is all about. If your week has been anything like mine, Easter has kind of snuck up on you this year, and suddenly it's here, and you think, well, there's a lot of stuff that has to get done, and maybe you have people coming in uh, for the weekend, and you've got a big gathering or whatever. Take time in the midst of all that to stop and to pause and to consider the great realities of what's actually being celebrated here. Now, if you're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, what you believe about him, I invite you to stay with the story. Maybe you could just pick up the book of Matthew, where we are right here, we're about two-thirds of the way in. Pick it up right here and read to the rest of the chapter or the rest of the book and see what's going on here in the last parts of the life of Jesus. Come back in, in Good Friday and hear that story as we celebrate on Friday evening. Come back on Easter morning and hear what this story is all about, why there's such joy wrapped up in this. Or if you're really serious, join a life group. Talk to some people about what they've experienced of Jesus, what they have learned about him and who he is and, and what he means for their life today. Take up the, the Read Scripture Challenge, download the app, grab the, the bookmark, start reading through, well, what is God up to? What is this all about? But find out why we say that this is the best news ever. This isn't just an, an advertising slogan. It's the reality that those of us who are followers of Jesus have come to believe. This is truly the best news ever for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a week to remember what's at the core of our faith. So again, I want you to take time to just stop, to take a pause from all the activity and all the responsibilities, and to allow yourself to remember what this story is about. Walk through this journey with us. Think about what Palm Sunday really means. Come back on Good Friday. Think about what Good Friday really means. Come back on Easter and celebrate with us. Think about what that really means for us. But slow down a little bit this week and celebrate what God has done through Jesus. And then take someone alongside. Maybe you talk with a friend about this. Maybe you talk with your kids about this. Maybe there's a coworker or a friend that, that you've never had a chance to really discuss this with. This would be a great opportunity this week as you are going through this journey of, of remembering what Jesus has done for us. Take someone alongside of you. Easter Sunday is a great Sunday to invite people. Uh, research continues to show that in the United States, most people, if they're invited to church by a friend, would come. They'd want to come. There are a lot of people who are curious about what, what's the church do these days? What's this all about? And if they already know you, if they're your, your friend, then, then that's already a point of, of ease tension. You see in the bulletins, you probably saw we have these invite cards for Easter. It's a simple tool that we want to give you so that you can invite people. It's a, it's a very simple way. But whatever you do, this is an opportunity for us to take people on this journey with us. If this really is the best news ever, then we get to share that news with others. We get to, to share with others why this is so important to us. And whether or not they believe that today, it's a chance for them to hear your story, to hear what the difference that this makes in your life. 
but it all comes down to Jesus. That's what this week is all about for us. My, my prayer for us as a church is that each of us, as we come back to this pinnacle of the ministry of Jesus, will regain a sense of awe and wonder at Jesus, that we would be filled with joy, that the God who created us loved us enough to send his son Jesus to rescue us, that we would have a new sense of joy at, at knowing that there is a true king, and he came to change everything and a bigger picture of what his salvation really means for us. Please pray with me.